0: Near Death Experience Podcast Item number 387, April 28, 2022. Listener Questions from April 2022, part two of two parts. This episode picks up right where Chaz left off with listener questions back on item 386. Before we get to the questions and answers, I want to make a brief announcement. When I took over the podcast, I said that I wanted to release the 19 episodes that are available on Patreon for those who support the podcast. I want to make them available to everyone. And I said back then, I wanted to do this because I did not feel right charging people to listen to the show. And that is not a slam on Chaz or anyone else who charges for their podcast or for extra episodes of their podcast. This is just the way I personally feel about the knowledge from these episodes and I just don't feel right charging people for them. I actually feel like this is part of what I'm here to do and I know that Chaz feels like this is a big part of what he's supposed to do while he's here. For those of you who have contributed on Patreon and continue to do so, we thank you ever so deeply because it takes money to to keep this show going, to keep the website up for production costs. And you guys keep it going by donating to us. And, And thank you, thank you for that. So look for those 19 episodes to start being released in May. And now, let's listen to Chaz's answers to the listener questions.
1: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I am Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and the music album Home, both of which can be found on our website, ndepodcast.org or neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. Okay, so here we go. Um, he goes on and says, ghosts, what are your thoughts on spirits remaining on earth and not moving on, and why? Okay, I'm going to address that before the second half of that question. This is one I have wrestled with, and I think for a number of reasons. In my religious background, which I do believe in, um, in my religious tradition, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe, and I'm just saying this as a as a preamble to uh, my own thoughts on ghosts and so forth, um, we believe that prior to coming to earth, we as spirits living in the presence of our Father, God, um, he, you know, it, extended this plan to us and suggested to us this this plan for life that would include his son Jesus Christ coming atoning for our sins so that we could repent and return to him and so forth so it would be possible for us to to return to him despite having not the ability to live a perfect life which we you know we don't have that ability we're we're born um, in in a broken world, and we're going to do some cruel things. We're going to make mistakes and so forth. Anyway, the point is he would send his son to to atone for us so that it would be possible for us to learn what we came here to learn, experience what we came to experience. And then when we return, we could return to his presence without necessarily being tainted by our sins because of Christ's sacrifice for us. Okay. Now, in that pre Earth experience of all the spirits of God, the children of God, as spirits being in his presence, um, there were some who rejected that plan, and you might say that Satan, the devil um, at the time, I think lucifer is is the name we often refer to um, whatever name he was using but but the devil at the time was among those spirits, and he was kind of a ringleader. Of these people who rejected the plan of sending Jesus Christ. And as a consequence for their rejection, as well as their efforts to rebel and overthrow God, which of course could never work, but they, they had this level of rebellion about this group that they had to be cast out of heaven. And we believe that they were cast to the earth were they all cast to the earth? Were they cast to other planets as well? I don't know. I, uh, what, what I would say is that we believe that they were cast to the earth. And so the devil and his angels, um, many if not all, are here and they tempt and they try and they try to bring us down and so forth. And in doing so, they actually end up in some level fulfilling God's plan because we need to learn to overcome our sins and with his temptations, we sin and then we come to God and, and seek forgiveness and we overcome our problems and we, you know, basically change and, and become more uh, because of the trials that, that we face while we're here. Anyway, uh, the point is, is that those spirits are on the earth. Okay. I give that as the preamble because I think there are two kinds of, if if ghosts as we um, see them, you know, being haunted houses and, you know, um, spirits wandering or and so forth, if that is really what's going on. And I'm not suggesting that I am, I have conviction that that's what's going on, but, but I suspect there is something to that. Um, first off, some of those spirits, I suspect, are spirits who have not come to the earth, who are Maybe, you know, some of those followers of the devil or who rebelled and were cast out. And those, if there is some way for them to make themselves known, for most people, they probably never will be able to because they don't have that ability to extend beyond the veil to some level, which is why some people um, can sense, you know, evil spirits or whatever, and others can't. And they're like, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. There's nothing happening, whatever. You know, it could be that there are those who have the ability to sense beyond the veil, and they are able to sense those evil spirits. Now, I only say that to suggest that any of those ghosts that seem to have really malicious intent are probably those. Okay, that's, that's my personal belief. I understand that many of you totally reject the idea of a devil, totally reject the idea of evil in general. And I, I want to honor that and suggest that, that this is my feeling about it. And many of you Christians um, who also believe, fellow Christians uh, who also believe in devil might be able to make, you know, some connection to that idea. I don't know, it's a, that's up to you. But I will say beyond that, As for spirits that lived on the earth, people that lived on the earth and then died and don't seem to leave and they seem to linger behind, there's a couple of things I can suggest as my personal view on that. Again, I I wish I had uh, sufficient data points from all these near-death experiences to draw, uh, you know, near conclusions, uh, you know, solid theories, you might say, around it. I don't. But I would suggest, first off, it's very possible that many spirits who, when they leave this earth, go on and they go to the other side, but that they come back for short periods, for purposes to fulfill. Such as, you know, you hear of people having dreams where they they talked to their grandmother and it was this deep, spiritual, loving, tear you know gushing experience where you're like that was my grandmother i know that i talked to my grandmother she apparently came back to have that experience i don't think she's wandering the earth and just you know uh, showing up in people's dreams you know where she can i don't think that's what's going on i think she came back for that purpose and she may return again um, if she has another purpose I think that probably happens more often when people have experiences with dead loved ones. Now, having said that, that brings up the second uh, possibility. When people have near-death experiences, sometimes it, it takes them a little bit of time. And that's a funny thing to say, because in that spirit realm, they're not experiencing time on any degree that could be very comparable to what we experience here, which may also answer the question as to why it seems to happen over a long period of time. But for them, it seems to happen um, that some time passes where they don't realize they're dead. They're walking through their house and they can't seem to open the door, so they just pass right through it, not realizing that that's weird, (laughs) not occurring to them that that's odd, walk through a wall. And they, they seem to feel very natural doing so, which perhaps our spirits themselves are used to that kind of behavior. And so we don't even think twice about it. Just like you don't remember probably whatever room you're in. Do you remember opening and closing the door behind you? You might not even remember because you did it subconsciously. You just did it. So that brings on the question, do our spirits, when we're in our spirit form, do we just subconsciously walk through doors and walk through walls or something and so we don't notice that we're doing it? I don't know. I just bring that up because sometimes people will have a time while they are, you know, have left their body that they try to go home and then they find, you know, go here and start doing things thinking that they're still alive before it occurs to them, wait a minute, I should be looking for a light. I, I should be doing something else. And then they move on. Is it possible that ghosts are spirits that are that are lingering behind because they don't realize they're dead? Maybe. Maybe. I don't think that's common. I don't think it's probably common for people to, to do that beyond, in earth time anyway, you know, a few minutes. Um, because people who have these near-death experiences where they don't realize for a time that they're dead from the time that they, that their body goes unconscious or, or, you know, their heart stops or whatever, until they're waking up on the, on the uh, emergency room table, they are, you know, they've only had five minutes pass by. And in that time, they had this two or three minute period, which to them may have seemed longer, but for that two or three minutes, maybe they were wandering through their lives and trying to uh, live, a normal life as they know it, but they don't realize they're dead. And then at some point, the two minute mark, you might say, they suddenly realize, oh, you know, or maybe they feel this pull toward a light or, you know, they're wandering around and then they find themselves in darkness, the, ab- the abyss, and then uh, find the light and go toward the light. And the rest of their experience is the remaining three minutes of that time, which of course, from their perspective is, you know, a couple of months time, it feels like. So if they had 2 minutes of being a wandering spirit if you will then how does that explain you know people who seem to wander for years in earth's time I don't I don't know it doesn't really compute you would think at some point they would catch on maybe they don't maybe they do maybe it's somebody who has such Drive for what they're doing in life. Their work is so all-consuming to them that it maybe it takes longer for them to realize that they have died. I, I don't know. I I wouldn't give that as a speculation. A, a, what I suspect to be the case, but I would give it as a possibility. Okay, let's jump to the second half of that question. He he asks, you know, where are your thoughts of spirits remaining on Earth and not moving on, and why? And then he says, why isn't it binary? We live on Earth or in the spirit world away from the Earth. Okay, that is brings on a really interesting discussion, which I will try not to drive too long because we're going on. We're nearly an hour in, so I apologize to any of you who find this as a big rambling session. I I. Hope that's not the case, but uh, it, it's kind of feeling that way to me. But I hope something of value is coming out of this. But um, as far as it being binary, this is an interesting thing because it appears, from all I can see, that the spirit world is not necessarily in a separate physical location than the earth. That there is some... ah. Uh, it, it, I don't know how else to describe this, but thinking of it as different dimensions. And I, I hate using that because term because it's, it's so overused in, in science fiction to just say, oh, you're somewhere else, but you're in the same place, you know. Um, and I don't mean to make it look that way, but there does seem to be some level of dimensionality about this earth. Some people would call it a different vibration. Some people would call it a different mental state, if you will. I don't know how else to describe it. We don't really have good words for it because everything that is outside of our solid, physical, mortal universe that we are in is immeasurable to us. We can't measure um, how dimension takes place in the spirit world. We don't have tools for it yet. I hope that someday we will. We don't yet. And so what that is and how that works, I don't know. But I would suggest that there seems to be different levels of this earth. So you've got the earth as we're seeing it, okay, the the uh, mortal human level that is all measurable and all that stuff that we're experiencing right now. Then there seems to be the level of the earth that spirits often first see when they leave their body when somebody has a near-death experience and they're hovering 10 feet above and they're looking at at their body this realm that they're in is obviously seeing this mortal realm that we're experiencing sometimes it's muted audibly muted or or maybe it's less visual in some way sometimes not sometimes it's even more visual more audible Um, than previously, but there is some level of dimension that is beyond this mortal experience, because now they can visit home, see their children in their beds, and and describe what their spouse at home is doing, uh, or, you know, their mother is doing at home, or whatever, and they come back, and they talk to their parent, and say, were you doing this and that, and you are like, yeah, how'd you know, you know, well, I saw you, I was there, there is that level, but then there is that level where suddenly darkness envelops them and they are in the void. Now, sometimes there is a level of travel about that and sometimes there is not, which is to suggest that it seems to be another realm. And then there is another realm where there is light and and there is landscape and there is, is uh, you know, an entirely additional universe, you might say, to to be explored, which many people explore in their near-death experience. So, you know, and then, of course, there's that realm that is just seems to be pure light, pure intelligence, pure love and perfection and, and everything. And the whole universe seems to be in this light. Uh, is that a different location or is it a different realm within the same location? Here's... What I have come to conclude from all of this myself is that in the spirit world or in as a spirit, completely separated from the body, you, all all the things that we call time and location are kind of irrelevant. There's something about time and location that seem to be, none of the rules apply. None of the rules seem to apply uh, that that do here, because they can travel instant distances without um, any time passing. And then time can pass, uh, you know, infinitely, either in a moment or, or over a long period of time, no time passing at all. It's like they're irrelevant, this time and distance thing. And in fact, you can have multiple things going on at once, seemingly in different locations. This multi-attentional aspect of, of people's near-death experiences suggests that you can be both here and there. And, you know, just based on where your focus is at any given time is where your attention lies. So, you know, that suggests location is kind of irrelevant on the other side. So is time. Now, the that location aspect often gets overlooked simply because time is so much more obviously bent because in the 30 seconds that you're out, you have this five-year experience on the other side, or what feels like five years on the other side. That becomes very obvious to us. And we talk about location as I went through this tunnel, and then I went to this place, and I flew, you know, whatever, and so forth. But where are you actually going? I mean, if you fly away from the Earth as many seem to do, and then fly past the stars, uh, did you go past Vega? Maybe did you, you know, the the stars in the Big Dipper? Did you pass one of the? You know, what are we talking in in terms of location? And I I get the impression that location is not really a thing, or at least it it doesn't apply in the same way. The same rules don't apply. So. I say that because the binary aspect of living on earth or in the spirit world, it seems to break down the moment the spirit is out of the body. And because of that, many people who have that crack in the veil, maybe because of after effects of near-death experience or something like that, um, will sometimes have leaks into the spirit world. They'll see something, they'll have dreams or they'll, you know, whatever um, that make it feel very non-binary. This, you know, either they're on earth or they're in the spirit world. I'm not sure it is binary on the other side, but on the earth here in our mortal form, especially if we are very earthbound, which is to say we don't have that crack in the veil. We don't have memories of any kind. Haven't had any massive spiritually transformative experiences it feels very binary, which would suggest to me that it's only binary here. It is not binary there. Now, that may not seem to make sense, but neither does not, not having time seem to make sense here, because we're bound by time here. Okay, I, I, I'm sure I confused you more than I, than I helped, but uh, let's go on to the next question. What's your personal favorite NDE story? Oh my goodness. I I don't know if I can say a, a favorite. There are so many things that just deeply touch me. Some of them include Betty Edie's experience. That's the first book I always point people to, just because it was one of the first NDE stories that I read and one that gave such detail and so forth. Because her first experience as as a Christian... It's what I want to experience. You might say her first experience going to the other side, beyond the uh, void, you know, when she goes to the light, she splashes out into the light and she is face to face with Jesus and she knows him. She remembers him from before coming to earth. She knows him. She He is a dear friend of hers, a dearest friend ever kind of thing, you know, BFFs, you know, Uh, And, and she has this, this loving, warm embrace with him that is beyond anything that, um, you know, I, I, I just, I love that. And then there is, uh, Sharon Milliman's experience of, and I, and I apologize to these individuals if I'm mixing up who had the different experiences, because I've, I've heard so many and I, I do document them, but short of bringing them up and getting very precise about this. Um, she has this experience where she is speaking with God, sitting on a bench, talking with him, having this beautiful, loving conversation with him, God, the father. And she had encountered Jesus as well, but she's talking with God and, and he's just got this beautiful, you know, curly hair. She describes, um, looking just like the picture of Jesus that, uh, that was drawn by Akiana Kramerick and I hope I'm saying that right, uh, but this uh masterpiece that that she drew um Sharon describes God as looking like that, and uh i I just the the absolute physicality of that, you know, and maybe that's just my earthboundness that that makes me interested in the very physicality of God and Jesus and, and being able to embrace them and and converse with them on this level that goes beyond what we can do here uh, that that just draws me in I, I really love those experiences like that and there have been so many others like that so I you know again I can't pinpoint a favorite but I do seem to have a uh, a bias towards those where people meet God and Jesus Christ um, and have very personal, deep experiences with them simply because I want that for myself. I think that would that would be so cool. And uh, that will lead into another question that we'll cover in just a moment. But uh, Josh's next question, why do we experience life if as I understand, if I understand your podcast correctly, whatever we don't learn on earth, we will learn in the spirit world. Or in other words, what are we trying to learn here on earth that we can't in the spirit world? He goes on, the spirit world is full of care and love. And that is the theme. We come here with amnesia to forget or to figure everything out on our own, but we already knew it beforehand, correct? I've struggled to come up with an answer to this, to the big question and that is a fantastic question and it's one that i have also wrestled with and i wouldn't say the conclusion that i come to that i've come to but where i'm on on my journey of answering this question is this at least uh for the time being where i stand on this is that there is something to actual physical experience that goes beyond what can be Um, experienced intellectually and spiritually alone. There is something to having actual experience, to experience pain. We may intellectually understand it, but until you really experience it yourself, you've not learned as much as could be learned. And if we, as I believe, and as these experiences seem to suggest, if we are eternal beings that have at some level always existed, and will always exist, and we're coming to this earth for something. It makes sense to me that we would come to experience those things that we couldn't experience there. Suffering, pain. Why would we do that? Simply because there are deeper, eternal lessons that are found in the experience, in the capacity for a deeper compassion, deeper love that comes from suffering and from helping others through suffering, from seeing suffering and seeking to heal it. And, and you know, all these things that we're doing in our lives, try and in the meantime, just trying to survive day by day. There's something to the, um, if any of you have had either a physical suffering or a mental suffering or an emotional challenge where it is persistent day after day after day after day after day after day. day. That is, even those who have experienced intense physical suffering, they don't learn the depth of lessons that those who experience that day after day after day after day, year after year after year suffering. Or, for that matter, service. Day after day after day after day. Doing good and doing good and doing good and doing good. Almost to an a obnoxiously repetitive uh, level either suffering, pain, the experience of being here. It feels often v- just, it feels like we sometimes just have a hammer hitting you over and over and it just won't stop. Whatever that suffering is for you, that is something that you could not fully learn whatever it is that you're to learn from it. I think some of it will learn here. Some of it will learn in the retrospect of the eternities and so forth. But you could not fully learn it at the level that you will learn it by coming here without that experience of coming and experiencing it. So is that to say we're here to learn suffering? I think that's a small part of it. I, I shouldn't say small. I think it's an important part of it. I think there's more too. And and it has very much and everything to do with love. What that means exactly, well, that's kind of the journey that we're trying to explore. And I find it a fascinating one. Okay, Uh, next question. Regarding life reviews, from hearing the accounts I feel influenced to always love everyone and help everyone now, while I feel I've been doing this unconditionally throughout my life, how do we differentiate? Oh, I love this question. How do we differentiate between doing good unconditionally versus doing it with the thought that it will be on our life review now that we are tainted, for back of a letter word, from this newfound knowledge? So if I'm understanding him correctly, it's that question of how can we really learn to love unconditionally if we know that we will be experiencing reward or, you know, some level of uh, retribution or reward in our life review someday, um, how can we love unconditionally? Um, And what's the difference between, you know, doing it unconditionally without a thought for self versus doing it for the person who, you know, really needs the service and really needs the love? Isn't it suddenly conditional or, or tainted in some way by knowing that we will be rewarded for the good that we do? I love this question for the simple reason that it comes from a place that is so ingrained in society that it's very difficult to uproot, which is simply this. It's this idea that doing good has to be selfless or it is not truly love. And I can see where this comes from because there are times where we have to do things simply out of love and not out of personal concern or or personal, you know, gain. I'm going to go do this so that I can get this reward from it and so forth and there is something to be said for it, no question about it. If I'm going about my life and doing things because I expect reward for it, and I'm earning my way to heaven, so to speak, um, then clearly that is not out of pure love that you're doing it, okay? It's, it makes sense that we would have this, this attitude and this, and this concept. But let me step back for a minute, just step right out, you know, at least for our conversation, step right out of the earth, right out of our bodies, right out of, and picture us as eternal beings, okay? Maybe coming from the same loving source. And we're talking about coming to earth, okay? And, and the opportunities we'll have to serve and learn love. What do you think we would see as these eternal, loving, sharing beings What would we see as harm in there being a situation where we are doing an act of love because we love the person and also know that we will be rewarded for that act of love? I think, and I strongly suspect this, I suspect that the greater act of love than doing it simply out of pure, absolute selflessness, nothing of consideration for oneself, even greater than that, is doing it as an act of love for the person and an act of love for self. To me, in some sense, that doubles the amount of love that is experienced, learned, whatever. Now, that's not to say that it is less to serve out of, you know, pure selfless intent, that is, prob- that is definitely greater than doing something out of purely selfish motives. But is it really selfish to do a loving act for someone with part of the intent being, because I know I'll feel good for this, I know what it will encourage me to be, and so forth? Honestly, I feel like if it's not a joint act of love, then we're kind of missing out. Now, there's a balance there. You don't want it to be mostly selfish. You don't want it to be uh, completely self-centered. If it is, you missed half of the opportunity right there. But if it is fully, entirely out of love for them and fully, entirely out of a love for yourself, because you know you will grow from it and progress, and you will be something greater for having done this thing. That's a greater act of love. Now, that's a perspective that has taken me years to develop, and I hope that more people will embrace it. Don't think that doing something out of a, you know, recognition that this will this will feel good someday is a reason not to do it, especially. I mean, I'd rather you do it for that reason than to not do it at all. Just like I would rather you selfishly help the person with a flat tire than um, to not help them at all, certainly. And yes, it may be even better to do it completely selflessly than to do it completely selfishly. But to me, it's a greater thing to say, I want to be the kind of person that helps people. I want to increase love in my life, and so I'm doing this to help them, to show love to them, and also to increase love in my life. And I know that I will be one day rewarded in looking back and seeing the good that I've done. That is not selfish. That is self-love. And unless we can learn to self-love, we will never fully learn to love selflessly either. You can't hold a grudge in your heart for yourself while loving somebody else entirely. You can't. You can't cut off love and expect it to fully flow anyway. It just, it doesn't work that way. Love is all encompassing. And when you want it to be a full gush of love, it should be an act of love for the person and yourself at the same time. That That's the way I see it. And that is... I think, one of the keys to happiness in this life, which is one of the reasons why you can see it in relationships, you know, in, in a good, healthy, spiritually healthy person who will leave an abusive relationship. There are people who, who stay in a relationship for purely selfless reasons, and they allow themselves to be walked on and abused and they're doing it out of love. But what's really happening is they are they are limiting the amount of love that they are capable of because they can't love themselves entirely. Because if they do love themselves entirely, they will get themselves out of this situation. It feels like a catch-22 to them. But to a person who is fully acting in love for others and for self, equally together, all of this one big love thing, they see... This is not love. First off, it's not loving what they're doing to me. And so as an act of love to myself, I need to get out. And second, by my unconditionally allowing them to do what they're doing, I'm actually just enabling them to be this kind of individual, abusive individual, and therefore, I am not even showing them love. Yes, I'm being selfless to some extent. But That's not necessarily love either. You see where I'm going with this? When you're living for real, true love, as it flows from the wellsprings of our being, of course you will love yourself. And of course you will love others unconditionally. And yes, you will have to put up boundaries because we're on a mortal, broken earth. Okay, I've I've harped on... uh, That abuse kind of a thing uh, in far too many episodes in a row. I hope it's of service to somebody, but I hope it communicates the point. I think that it is doing us a disservice by thinking that because it's serving us also, that it is therefore less an act of love and therefore not as qualified or something. I think we need to be looking at life as a great opportunity to show and receive love learn to receive, because receiving, when done appropriately, is a great act of love. Great act of love. Okay, next question. From your research, is there a connection between astrology, not horoscopes, and the spirit world? Okay, I'm going to answer this question a little more broadly than specifically, as far as astrology goes. I think there are many connections To the spirit world that we have in this life i think um religion is a big strong one and and you know it'll be stronger and weaker depending on the religion depending on different things i think that things like astrology uh spiritualism um even even things like you know witchcraft and and other kinds of things are definitely also a connection to the spirit world and without trying to equate any of those with the, uh, you know, the, the things that, you know, I'm going to say here, there is also a level of spiritual um, connection through things like Satanism or other um, evil <laughs> kinds of spiritual approaches. My point in saying all that is that, yes, there are many connections to the spiritual world. But I also feel that the spiritual world is a very dynamic place. And I hesitate to use the word place for all the reasons that we've talked about. But spirituality itself, just spirit in general and the spiritual realms. There are beautiful, good realms and there are dark realms and there are evil spirits and there are good spirits. Some may argue that there is not really any evil, but there are certainly levels of vibration that, that um, are go against love, which in my mind is evil. That's, that's my view on it. I, I believe that anything that acts against love or tears down love is evil, and I would call those things sin. Now, anyway, that's a separate discussion, but the point is, where does astrology land on this you know um, connection to the other side i don't know i have not engaged in it myself i have not looked into it i do believe there is some connection to the other side good bad in between i don't know i don't know i know there's people who who use crystals and other uh, artifacts and so forth to connect with the other side in within my own religion there are um, artifacts and so forth discussed in scripture, be they, you know, um, be they actual physical scriptures or, you know, um, things like seer stones and so forth. Um, Those are very strong connections to the other side. And I have a suspicion that with most of these different kinds of connections to the other side, be they you know uh, religious be they you know tools whatever um they can be used for good or evil i think that's that's how i see it and if there are artifacts or or whatever that open a connection to the other side specific to darker realms well don't be surprised if it leads to some pretty dark experiences i I don't mean to say by any of that that astrology fits that. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that I don't know enough about astrology personally. I'm sure that there are plenty of listeners that could could uh, fill in more details on how to use astrology for good. I have no experience with it. Personally, I am not interested in getting involved with it. And I'll admit it's very much because of my own personal biases, because of my religious background. Yes, yeah, I, I admit that. There are spiritual things that I will not embark in as a Christian. Not because I don't think they're they could be effective, but just because I don't see the need for it. Because I find that the spiritual practices and and approaches that I do take seem to work for me just fine. It's the same reason why I have not gone to a medium or gone to do, you know, a before life regression kind of thing or anything like that. It's not that I don't think there is possibility of those things um, doing what they're intended to do. I suspect they probably could. I just don't personally feel the need for it. And so, please don't misunderstand from anything that I'm saying that I'm trying to equate astrology with evil or or anything like that. I just want to suggest that's why I have not looked into it myself um, is because of my own background. And I don't, you know, if any of you are uncomfortable with any of those things, astrology, you know, witchcraft or whatever, um, that's okay. It's totally okay to avoid those things if you're uncomfortable with them. Don't judge anybody who is in those things involved in those um, approaches to spirituality please this is this is a big world, and we need to love one another and there are things you can learn from them that uh, that you wouldn't learn from your own tradition. Uh, be aware of that, but it's okay if you're uncomfortable with those and avoid them. That's okay. We're not here to necessarily. Um, find all of the nooks and crannies into the spirit realm. And if you, for one, find astrology to be your most spiritual, greatest spiritual tool, well, then that's great. I'm happy for you. And I don't want to discourage you at all. So, you know, that's my my feeling about the whole thing. I, I, ju- I just wanted to lay that out out to kind of throw my chips out and say, well this is where I stand on it. And I don't want to come across as judging anyone for their beliefs and so forth. I just don't know enough about most of those beliefs to have any strong views on them as to you know where they stand and in what level of spirituality they point toward. I just don't know. So anyway. Next question Does the life we choose on earth follow a timeline? Could we have chosen to be born in the 1800s or at a time in the future beyond 2022? I ask this as there is no timeline in the spirit world as I understand. Okay, this is a great question because, gee, I don't know. (laughs) I I, I get the impression that we had some say in when we come, when we would show up. And I get the impression also that... uh, some of us held back for a long time, but again, as you say there's no if there's no timeline on the other side, is it just like okay, let's all go one, two, three, go, and we're showing up at different times i don't know i that's interesting, but if that's the case, then how does that apply with uh you know those who have died and we have this connection with people who have died and people have near death experiences see their loved ones on the other side um gee, that, that I, I don't know. <laughs> I love this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there may be something to choosing, something to assignment, maybe. Who knows? Okay, um, next question, and this is a multifaceted question. Uh, why do you think some people see Jesus and some see God during a near-death experience? When we pray, is there a proper chain of command for a communication? Should we pray to God, Jesus, or both? What is correct etiquette? Okay, this is a question, okay, the first part, why do you think some people see Jesus and God during a near-death experience? Um, Some people would suggest that, you know, they're seeing who they expect to see, and yet there are so many near-death experiences where people are expecting to see no one, and then see god or jesus i've i've even heard of people of other religions um, who don't believe in jesus in their religion seeing jesus and then others in their own spiritual um, background seeing leaders of their faiths or or you know religious symbols from their faiths such as muslim or or buddhism or whatever so there i don't know i there seems to be a connection between what we you know, grow up understanding and and what we see. And yet the expectation is not met with an expected result. So most people who see Jesus or God say, he is very different than the Jesus or God I was brought up to, to believe in. He was very different. So where does that expectation break down? I think it breaks down at the level of who God is, who Jesus is, if you saw a ven you know we were taught about a vengeful God who who strikes down the wicked at the slightest provocation, and then you go to the other side, I don't think you're going to experience a God who is striking you down in that experience. I don't think you will because that is not what people are experiencing. I have not heard of a near death experience where somebody experiences that. Now, they experience some pretty dark things sometimes, distressing near-death experiences, but it's not coming from God. It's coming from some kind of dark evil beings. And most of the time, those people are rescued by God and healed by God. So, you know, as far as expectation, it's, you know, why do some people see God and Jesus and others not? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's what they needed. Maybe it's it was, you know, a deal they made with God when they when they came to earth. Regardless, everybody I've heard that has seen Jesus or God finds their faces or their their presence very familiar. Very familiar. And it's kind of shocking to them um, how familiar he is to them or they are to this the people who encounter them they're usually surprised to be like oh you of course I know you so I mean I have a suspicion that all of us when we encounter God or Jesus will be like oh yeah duh (laughs) how could I have forgotten and so whether we saw whether they're seen in near-death experience or not I think is kind of irrelevant because anyone who wants to probably will at some point in the afterlife. So, as to the proper chain of command for communication, ooh, this is a tightrope to walk for me personally, both because of my personal beliefs religiously, as well as what I read in near-death experiences. What I find in near-death experiences is that any attempted communication with God succeeds. And my personal religious background suggests that, any attempted communication with God succeeds. Now, yes, that's the same thing said twice, I recognize that, but at the same time too, in my religious background, there's this idea that that I, I do believe in, that um, technically our prayers go to God through Jesus Christ, which is why you will often hear people in my faith say, in their prayers with, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Because they're, they're saying, you know, we recognize that our way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And I stand by that. But that is not to suggest that any attempt at uh, communication with God is, you know, oh, you didn't do it right. You didn't say it right. You didn't get the right words in. That's not how God works. That's not at all how he works. He is our Father, When my child comes and tries to communicate with me by writing on a piece of paper and handing it to me i may struggle with the um, handwriting a little bit but the message is going to get to me now they'd probably be able to convey what they're trying to say a little better by actually speaking it to me and sometimes when they are you know young enough it's kind of hard to understand it's not that god is not understanding when we attempt to communicate. He understands us through and through all the words that we're not communicating. But we know from relationships that speaking or conveying to someone your feelings or your, you know, what you're trying to say, even if you know that person already knows, by sharing it, you strengthen the relationship with that individual. Now, God loves us perfectly. I think it's fair to say that his love for us isn't exactly growable in the sense that, you know, if we do this right, he'll love us more. I don't think that's how that works. But I do think that as we learn to connect with him and recognize his attempts to connect with us, that that relationship for us strengthens and therefore our communication with him strengthens it's the effort it's the attempt that makes the biggest difference in my mind how in the you know chain of command is of lesser degree i think there that we can find value in a certain level of of ritual about our prayers about our meditation and so forth and and having you know a, a method to how we pray and so forth can be beneficial for a number of reasons one it helps focus the mind quickly for me i have a meditation chair it's just the most comfortable chair in the house and i sit in it and i turn on some soft background music or sounds something like that because what happens when i do that i sit down turn on the thing or i turn on the thing and then sit down i can Enter this meditative state in a very short period of time. Within 30 seconds, I'm feeling pretty deep. Whereas, if I'm standing in the line of the grocery store and it's a big long line and I can see it's going to be a while, I can, you know, whether I close my eyes or whether I just kind of zone out, you know, staring off in the middle distance, so to speak, I can reach that meditative state, but it's harder there because the, uh, I've not done my, my ritual to get into the state of mind where, where I'm telling my mind, it's time for this, you know, and we're gonna do this, here we go, go. It's a, it's, it's a mental preparation thing. And I think that chain of command thing, um, you know, speaking to God in the name of Jesus Christ, in my case, is a really nice way of setting up that structure to put my spirit in a, in, a, in a state to be communicating with God fairly quickly, or at least to enter that state fairly quickly. And because of that, I can often feel response. Now, what is the exact mechanism by which that's happening? I don't know exactly. I would call it the Holy Spirit communicating with me, um, what that means, I don't entirely know. Is is he whispering to my ear? Is there, you know, uh, this channel open to the heavens? You know, what's the mechanics? I don't know exactly. I just know that God hears my prayers always. And when I'm in the right frame of mind, I can sometimes hear a response. And it's always very meaningful when, when that takes place. So I would suggest the effort is the biggest thing the ritual can help the chain of command can help and you know who we're praying to i personally feel a greater connection to god and encourage people to speak to god um some people speak to jesus and i think that's beautiful and if that is a more meaningful experience for you do it do it because whatever works best for you, that's the correct etiquette. I, that's the way I feel about it. And if you try new things and one thing works and the other doesn't, take on the new thing and throw out the other. You know, whatever's working to better your relationship with God, use it. Use it. It's the effort that, that really matters. And the striving. Time can be a valuable tool in communicating with God. If you are used to praying for 30 seconds, like you would over a, you know, saying grace over dinner, um, try a 15-minute prayer. It gets pretty deep. You could even try the method of finding a good quiet location and deciding, I'm not going to stop praying until I've at least shed some tears. If I haven't shed some tears, I will keep going until I've, I've shed some tears. That can be a way of making a deep emotional connection with God and opening some channels and so forth uh, within yourself. So anyway, that's, that is a huge podcast. I just looked at the time. I have gone for almost a, uh, an hour and 40 minutes. I apologize for you who um, have limited time, but I wanted to answer all these questions. And you can see now why I could not answer them in a single, you know, email. But uh, I I did want to share these answers. And I totally understand if there are those of you who shut it off early because it took so long. Those of you who have listened to the end, my goodness, thank you. Um, You're the diehards, if you will. Uh, But I just want to say I am so grateful for this opportunity to do this. And I'm so thankful to all of you. So thank you again, all of you for listening